0: 27 years before Jeanette Castrillon disappeared during a camping trip with her family, it was the summer of 1988. Jeanette was 17 years old. She had just started her first semester at New Mexico State University where she intended to study computer engineering. A striking brunette at 5'3 and slender, Jeanette mostly stood out for her intelligence and her dry sense of humor. She was always good at anything that she touched, anything that she tried. She was just
1: wildly smart. There was a lot of, inner mind, ambitions to accomplish, you know, many things in short time. She could explain everything with numbers, <laughs> that was her.
2: Even when we were really, really young, my, my dad bought a Commodore 64, its computer, mm-hmm. way back in the day, where anything that you wanted to do with it, you had to program it. And I remember that she learned how to program it.
3: She had this curiosity. About her, he was just so hungry to absorb new experiences and new things.
0: From the labyrinth and casefile presents. I'm Octavia McHenry. Jeanette was born in California in 1970, the firstborn child to a young couple that had only been married for ten months. Desde que nació, se veía Her parents, Eduardo and Lydia, were born in Mexico. Her father is a family physician. He runs a private practice and works at a correctional facility, too. Soon after Jeanette, two boys were born, Fabian and Oscar. Lastly, another girl, Sochi. Lydia was a full-time mom, but she makes it sound easy. After the kids were born, I stopped working to take care of them full time. I preferred staying home. I preferred cleaning the house, caring for the kids, playing with them outdoors. Everyone I spoke to told me that Jeanette was rather bossy or headstrong, however you want to call it. This is her sister, Sochil.
2: When we were really young kids, my sister was. Not exactly happy with my existence. (laughs) No? (laughs) You know what it's like, because she was the only girl, and then I was born, and then I got all the attention and all this. And so it's natural. Like, older siblings don't like that.
0: This is Jeanette's father, Eduardo.
4: Janet was the leader. And and she was um, always, uh, to a certain point, a a little dominant. She had a, a strong character. And, uh, but they got along well. Uh, to say that they'd never fought each other, that would be a tremendous lie because perfection doesn't exist.
0: Aside from practicing medicine, Jeanette's father has volunteered as a pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist church for the last 25 years. Every Saturday, or Sabbath, he preaches in a different church around El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, Deming, or Las Cruces, New Mexico, where they currently live. This is Jeanette's brother, Oscar, explaining their religion.
5: We're Christian, so we believe in the Trinity, we believe in the Second Coming, everything, uh, just like a Baptist would. Okay. Except it's seventh day, we go to church on Saturday, instead of going to church on Sunday. It's pretty much the same thing.
0: The Castrellans are a very tight-knit family. They like to spend a lot of time together. They do lots of things outdoors, and almost every weekend Eduardo preached, they traveled out of town often with their motor home. Although the family has lived in Las Cruces since 1983, all four kids were sent to a private boarding school in Mexico. It's the Seventh-day Adventist school where their father had gone and their grandparents before that.
2: Oh, initially it was, it was very hard for me. Oh, I hated it.
0: <laughs> that was Sochil again. Nowadays, she's a flight test engineer and lives in California.
2: Was it a character-building experience? Oh, absolutely. Talk about learning discipline. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite like a military school. I would say it kind of comes close. They, they wake you up at like 5 a.m. You go to morning worship, you go to breakfast, and you have to have spotless uh, uniform every day. If not,
0: they would send you home. I spoke with Jeanette's cousin, Cynthia. The two are the same age and they were in the same grade. Cynthia and Jeanette would occasionally break the strict rules imposed by their boarding school. Something as innocent as watching a mainstream movie could get you in trouble at the time.
3: Well, they were very strict with things like gender roles and outside influences, you know, um,
0: music, and right. you know,
3: all kinds of things that uh, were just not allowed in terms of what they call the
0: outside world. By all accounts, Eduardo is a very laid-back parent, but he wanted his children to attend Montemorelos, that's the name of the school, for their academics, to teach them discipline, and to ensure they'd be bilingual. Montemorelos is also where Jeanette met her first boyfriend, Elias Hernandez. This is Jeanette's cousin, Cynthia, again.
3: She had had little to no contact, you know, with boys um, in that sense. before. Yeah, you know, casual friendships even there. He really was a very decent guy. But this sounds paternalistic on my part but I, I trusted her with him. <laughs> 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 he was always really one of the good ones. Um, so um, I was really happy for them both.
0: And this is Elias himself.
1: If there's something that it really stays and it sticks in your mind, it's a smile. She had a very beautiful smile and once you get to meet her she was so uh humble and simple and and down the earth and easy to talk so uh it was a a it was a completeness on her that uh really attracted me at that at that time yes
3: she was a beautiful girl um i don't know that she was so aware of it before i'm sure she was aware of it but it really came when she came to the school,
0: Can you be openly in a relationship with somebody and and you know no, a, <laughs> no, <right? laughs> I didn't
3: think no. So, so you kind of hung out a lot together. Obviously, no CDA. Certainly, uh, they would separate you if you were too close, or you know, if you certainly couldn't hold hands or let alone kiss or
1: anything like that. So, you know, I told her, you know, uh, Jeanette, I I like to marry you. Whenever the time comes, and uh, and she smiled, she smiled. I don't remember she saying yes, but she smiled. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So how
3: did how did that make you feel?
1: Uh, well, it made me feel like I need to work a lot more.
3: <laughs> she she loved him. She really did. Uh, but she was also just very um, curious about you know what these things were. I don't think she was. At the time, um, thinking about marriage, she was just enjoying the discovery of a relationship.
0: Jeanette was smart. She was witty, she was beautiful, and she had a boyfriend who adored her. She came from a good family and she had lots of friends. She had everything, but her life was about to change forever. On June 12th, 1988, when she was just 17 years old, Jeanette was in a tragic car accident her path came to an abrupt halt. She had recently moved back to New Mexico and started college. Jeanette, her younger sister Sochil, and their parents were traveling back to Montemorelos to pick up Oscar and Fabian, who were still in high school. They were bringing them back home for the summer. On their way back, 16-year-old Oscar was driving. It was late at night, and most of the family was asleep. Eduardo, the dad, was sleeping in the front passenger seat next to Oscar. In the second row of the Suburban, mom, Lydia, was sitting next to Fabian and Sochi. Jeanette had the back row to herself. She was asleep without a seatbelt. Somewhere on the I-10 in Texas, Oscar lost control of the vehicle. Nobody knows exactly why, maybe a screw that caused the tire to blow. He tried to correct it, and the Suburban swerved off the road and flipped on itself before landing right side up. This is Jeanette's sister, Sochi.
2: I was asleep when it happened, but I woke up when I hit the roof because it knocked the wind out of me. So I remember, God, I remember everything. I remember hearing how the metal was cracking, the the sound. There was fine dust everywhere. And I, and I think that came from these giant vases that my mom had bought in Mexico on our way back. And they just pulverized the next conscious spot that i had was me just popping my head up and looking around like trying to absorb what i was looking at but remember the first thing that my dad said was is everybody okay is everybody here and then that's when my mom started screaming saying that janet's missing janet's missing we don't know where she's at and and i remember looking around like outside as much as i could because it was so dark trying to find where my sister was.
0: Jeanette was not in the car. The impact caused her to be ejected from the vehicle.
2: I remember finally finding my way out of the car and um, Oscar and my dad had already reached Jeanette and she was just laying in the middle of the road. And um, she was was saying things. She was saying, I have to get up. I have a test because she really did have a test. She was gonna go back to a final. That's all that she talked about. And it just didn't make any sense.
0: For Jeanette, the damage was instant. And I remember my dad, he just
2: took charge. He just started saying, OK, uh, just keep her still. Don't let her get up. And just gather there's clothes everywhere, and, and, and it was cold. And so he said, gather all the clothes and keep her warm. And so as soon as he said that, um, we just immediately started picking up clothes and, and putting it on top of her. And then she would just t- try to take them off. And then uh, she
0: started foaming at the mouth. A truck driver pulled over to assist them at that point. The situation was overwhelming for anyone to handle, let alone a 12-year-old Sochi.
2: And there was this the lady that was with the truck driver. I remember, um, <laughs> I'm gonna get a little emotional. Um, I remember that she, she stopped me because I remember I was going back and forth doing what my dad told me to do. And she stopped me and she helped me and she said, Who is that on the street? And then I said, it's my sister. And when when she asked me that, I lost it. I couldn't, I, I started
0: feeling so much fear at that point. A helicopter arrived to assist them and Jeanette was airlifted to Beaumont Military Hospital in El Paso. Jeanette's brother Fabian was also seriously injured. He broke his neck and femur. He was pinned inside the vehicle, yet he insisted paramedics assist Jeanette first. To this day, the family has a difficult time talking about this accident. And bringing it up felt like a sadistic game of needling around old wounds.
2: Oscar, right after the accident, um, felt that it was his fault. And he was depressed for like a month. He wouldn't even come out to eat or anything post the accident. He was
0: just devastated. Back at the hospital, doctors had to remove some portions of Jeanette's brain in order to save her life. She was in a coma for about a month. Nobody knew if she'd come out of it or what she'd be like when she did.
2: We would visit every day. We'd just go there and spend hours just talking to her. And I, I do remember that it was super exciting. that The very first time when somebody asked her to squeeze if, if, mm-hmm. if she could hear him, and she mm-hmm. did. And that was, like, oh, wow. the most exciting moment
0: ever. And we were like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> she might come out. Because there was damage to her frontal lobes, they knew she would never be the same again. But they still held out hope that maybe she'd be the exception to the rule. When she woke up from her coma, her speech was incomprehensible. It took her a few months to be able to talk again, and she had to learn to walk all over again, too. And because her progress was gradual, nobody knew at what point it would stop. This is Jeanette's father again.
4: Obviously, we were expecting a better outcome. But even with her limitations, was still considered a blessing. Uh, but of course, her mind completely changed.
0: With time, Jeanette could speak almost normally but the damage to her brain made it so that she was completely dependent on the care of others. The main obstacle was the impact on her short-term memory. Jeanette could only retain information from the past and had a hard time learning anything new so that she would constantly forget what she was doing and where she was.
4: So if she met you, she would talk to you and two minutes later, she would ask you again. But she was excellent at covering that up
0: This is Jeanette's sister again. If you met her for the
2: very first time, she would probably ask you what your name is and how you spell it. And then she would start doing math in her head based on how you could spell your name. She would go through the letters one by one, assign numbers to them and just do math with it. However, she did it uh, in a way that she only understood. And then she could still carry on the conversation with you for a short amount of time. And then she would go back to, what was your name again?
0: Because of where her brain was injured, she was always hungry. As a result, she became overweight. This is Jeanette's brother, Oscar.
5: The part of her brain where also she has a lesion would make her that her hunger was uncontrollable. She could be fed and fed and fed, and she would do it until she vomited. That part of the brain just didn't let her know, you're full, stop eating.
2: As she improved, her sneakiness did too. <laughs> So she would find ways around my mom
0: and go to the kitchen and just eat. And her overall personality changed a lot, too. She was often angry.
4: After she had the accident, uh, for some reason or other, she started to dislike her brothers, all of them.
0: Jeanette would recite the alphabet, but replace the first letters of their names with various sounds as a sign of protest.
4: It took me a long, long time and the assistance of other people to find out what she was doing. And her favorite letter was letter number seven. And when we asked her why that, because that's the seventh day and and God uh, created this world. So she would give you a whole uh, Christian reasoning for her liking the, uh, the, the number seven. She was a little bit more aggressive towards my son, Oscar. And so she, she was closer to Fabian. For, for some reason, she would listen more to Fabian and he would talk to her and he would reason with her. And she was extremely pleasant to them when we were not around. Just like a little, I guess, a little child.
0: Oscar told me that she had two modes.
5: She was really aggressive or she was really nice. And it was weird because she would meet people and she could have met you and right off the bat she would like you or right off the bat she wouldn't like you and she would let you know. With us, it was kind of hit or miss. If I gave her, for example, a pizza, which was her favorite food, she was my friend. But for the most part, she didn't like, she didn't like me. And you just learned to live with that. You know, it's your sister and she's got a, a lesion of the brain.
0: Her propensity for math continued, but in an obsessive compulsive way that only made sense to her. And I think this is left
2: over from her computer science days. She loved to press buttons, like a little kid. She liked to count things. If there were, I don't know, uh, spikes on the fence, she would count them. She would do random math problems in her head as well, all the time, because it was part of her obsession.
0: Here's Jeanette's cousin, Cynthia, again.
3: She remembered some things, um, like whenever she'd see me She would ask about her boyfriend, obviously, I would say things like, he's okay, he's fine, you know. um,
0: Right.
3: He was, of course, devastated when this happened,
0: and um, I don't know that he ever saw her again. Elias and Jeanette were together for a year and a half. He never did see her again after the accident. He's now a family doctor, working in emergency medicine. He went on to marry a woman he met while in medical school, and they have two kids— Before Jeanette disappeared, she had very long hair that she would never allow anyone to cut. She used to wear it in a long braid. She weighed 250 pounds and was almost blind. She walked with difficulty and didn't like to exert herself more than strictly necessary. Her mental capacities were around those of a 12-year-old in some areas, but in others, her abilities were more similar to those of a 5-year-old. Uh, How dependent was she on your care? Entirely. I had to tell her when to shower, to use soap, to scrub, rinse, get dressed. I would lay her clothes out and she'd put them on. I had to instruct her to do everything, everything, because she wouldn't do it on her own. So Eduardo and Lydia, almost in their 70s, were still taking care of Jeanette as you would a small child. But a child in the body of a grown person.
3: It was a 24-7 job with her, and I recognized that both my uncle and my aunt um, had a massive, massive job. Uh, that was just very touching, I guess, but she was very, very active. Um, I don't know how
0: they did it for so long. In fact, many of the people I spoke to have told me how challenging it was at times to care for Jeanette. This following clip is from my interview with Oscar.
5: She's a difficult person to care for. She's a difficult person to keep up with. She's not the type of person that would be compliant. No matter how many times you would tell her, she was stubborn.
0: Jeanette had wandered off before, but due to her difficulty walking, she was never very far, and her family always caught up with her. This time, something very different happened. Coming up next on The Labyrinth.
5: This is the strangest search I've ever been on. She just disappeared right off the face of the earth. I said, you're telling me you got a sign right here. I said, well, then we're right on the road here, basically. So she got another car. Somebody abducted her. Dad never, ever talks to me. He's busy trying to get the motorhome unstuck. We were desperate. We didn't know what else to do. We already start to know, you know, the canine hasn't found her. Something really bad is going on.